0: Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick.
1: Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day, I'm Monty Larrick. While lawmakers and others pushed for the legalization of recreational use of marijuana in Illinois, heroin use is skyrocketing in the United States. Addiction specialists tie the lax use of prescription opioid painkillers for the surge in heroin use. The issue is so pressing that President Donald Trump has formed a commission to find ways to deal with the deadly problem. Illinois Family Spotlight asked an expert on drug addiction to weigh in on the situation and the connection with marijuana use. We spoke with Angela Camp at a conference in Springfield hosted by Illinois Church Action on alcohol and addiction problems. Ms. Camp is with Bradford Health Services based in Birmingham, Alabama. Bradford has been treating alcoholism and drug addiction for more than 30 years. We've got an exploding heroin epidemic. I thought that was something out of the 60s and 70s, but it's really hitting us hard right now. Why is that?
0: We believe it's directly tied to the opiate pain pill epidemic. Many communities are suffering across our country. Um, in many ways, it's the same drug, just in a different form and a different potency. And our young people, when they see heroin as something that is the same as, or very similar to something else that they feel like is not dangerous, prescription drugs, it removes the stigma and it removes a lot of the fear that they once would have felt over heroin. Heroin used to be seen as a junkie drug and now it's just seen as the fi- financially the best thing to switch to um once your opiate addiction becomes too much.
1: It's financially viable for a young kid mm-hmm. to start using Heroin.
0: Right, um, the figures that we usually give is um, if you don't have a pain pill prescription and you've graduated on to buying off the streets, it's generally about ten dollars a milligram. So it's not unusual for us to see a young person who's uh, spending up to a hundred, a hundred and twenty dollars a day on Lortab, fifteen dollars worth of heroin is the same thing. Wow. So it sounds like you know, easy math right. for, for many of them.
1: I heard a sheriff say that in some cases you can get some heroin for less than a six pack of beer.
0: Yeah, um, depending on what you're buying and where you're buying it, who you're buying it from. But yes, it's very inexpensive. Um, much of what we're seeing on the streets is very inexpensive. And so after a while, um, other addictions can, as they escalate, can cost more and more and more and making it you know, not viable anymore. And they will switch to heroin um, in a heartbeat.
1: Well, aside from the low cost, why are young people gravitating toward heroin and prescription drugs?
0: Um, I would say um, the prescription drug epidemic that we're seeing is pretty rampant in most of the communities where we work. Um, when I'm talking to a young person who has started or is using pills, many times they will say the first place they got it was from home. They stole it from home. So it's very important for parents to realize, recognize that and to lock everything up. Even if you're not worried about your kid, it's just better to be safe than sorry. The tolerance increase that comes with that, the combining it with alcohol, those are lead to a lot of desired effects for our young people. Um, You can only smoke so much pot, right? And that's what we see a lot of them doing. And so if they're ready to kind of take it to the next level or maybe the pot isn't working for them anymore, they've built up a tolerance. Pills for many of our young people, it's just become kind of a a normal thing. And again, there's not that much of a stigma. With the heroin, it's always been interesting to me to talk to young people who are using heroin or or any age because heroin is the drug that will kill you, can kill you the first time you use it, the 10th time, the 100th time, right? Um, It shuts your respiration down, overdose. A lot of times when you're buying it, you're not sure if it's pure heroin or if it's laced with another opiate like fentanyl. Um, And so I heard a psychiatrist out in Las Vegas once. Um, talk about ask, actually asking a young adult patient that question, which I thought was so interesting. He said he, he built up a rapport with her, and finally one day he said, you know, you based on your history, you should have died several times already, and you're still, you continue to go back and back to heroin. Tell me what what is the feeling that you get when you use it that makes it worth the risk? And she said, imagine that you are a 3-year-old, and you're cold and hungry and lonely, and your mother wraps you in a warm blanket, and pulls you onto her lap and spoon feeds you homemade chicken soup. That's what heroin feels like. My goodness. And it gives me chills because we, we take for granted sometimes that kids are growing up in good homes. Kids are loved. Kids are taken care of. And that, that experience that she described to her, a psychiatrist, I think is a lot, of, a lot of people don't experience that when they're growing up, right? It's something that becomes what they're looking for, what they've never felt, what
1: about kids who come from good homes? Uh, they're church gone kids. They're homeschooled. Are we seeing heroin making inroads there?
0: We are. Um, Middle class America. A lot of the affluent communities that we work with across the country. Um, part of it is they have the money for it. Uh, they're hanging out a lot of times with older kids, college age kids, even siblings who are college age. Who they're so they're exposed to it at a younger age. Um, but once it kind of becomes the thing that your group is doing, it's not a stretch for a kid who wouldn't ordinarily be involved or, or prescription drug involved um, to become so. They want to fit in. They want to be part of their tribe. And if their tribe is, is using pills or heroin, it, it's not an unusual thing for us to see them tra- transition to that.
1: You mentioned marijuana. A lot of people argue, ah, there's no real connection between marijuana use and heroin and hard drugs and all this, what do you say?
0: I say I've never met a heroin addict who didn't start with smoking pot and drinking. Um, The way I usually describe it is um, someone who's clean as a whistle, who's never used a day, anything in his life, doesn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to stick a heroin needle in my arm today. That's not how addiction happens. Addiction is much more sneaky than that, more subtle. Um, For many of our young people, they will tell you, as heroin addicts in treatment. I started when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. First time I was at a party, somebody gave me a beer and I smoked a joint. So for many young people, that's as far as it goes. Um, The ones that we typically see and the ones that we're seeing overdose deaths with are, and I don't know how to say this other than to say it this way, they use for the first time when they're 15 or 16, and it's the thing they've been looking for their entire life. It makes them feel normal, it makes them fit in, it makes them part of a a group who accepts them. Once you have that kind of connection to a substance, it is very likely if you continue using it that you will become addicted.
1: What role is social media playing in all this, this uh, prevalence of uh, prescription drug use and heroin?
0: I I think um, it plays a big part. Because uh, our young people, that generation, high school, middle school, high school, and college kids are living their lives on social media. That's where the truth of their lies lies. And um, when kids are seeing things that look glamorous, um, related to drug use, partying, having fun, not the dangers, just the partying fun side, uh, it also sends the message that everybody's doing it, which again, lowers that stigma, lowers that fear. Um, and it makes them something that they're curious about because they want to fit in, they want to be part of whatever's trending. Um, And so a lot of what they see on social media and hear about on social media and read on social media is just what kids perceive as the positive side and not the dangers, whereas we adults are always um, on the lookout and, and seeing what's dangerous when a kid is overdosed or in a coma or something else that's happened.
1: Are there some apps a parent might want to look out for uh, on their child's phone that might uh, be a telltale sign that they're dabbling with drugs?
0: Sure, um, there are a couple of different apps that we know kids use only to hide other things like messages or pictures or videos that are inappropriate and they don't want their parents to pry eyes to see. Um, things like calculator percentage, um, audio manager, um, Vaulty. Um, For sure, those are probably the top three that if I saw on my child's phone, I would immediately know something sketchy was going on. may not be drug use, maybe something else, but something, they're hiding something, which is um, a good indication to a parent that they need to dig a little bit bit deeper.
1: Well, if I'm a parent or a grandparent or a friend, what can I do to uh, make sure that uh, my kid is not involved in this or my grandson?
0: Right. Um, The thing that I always tell parents, um, and sometimes you only see it in hindsight, is we've got to start having honest conversations with kids about drug and alcohol use. Um, I always suggest to parents that they start when a kid is about third grade level, depending on maturity. uh, Decide as a family what you and your wife or you and your husband believe about substance abuse and sit the kid or kids down and, and tell them that. And so that helps open the doors to that conversation, and it can be an ongoing conversation as a kid gets older. Uh, The conversation will change a little bit as they approach uh, the teenage years. Um, At that point it needs to be this is what we believe about drug and alcohol use. We also know you're a teenager and you're gonna do dumb stuff. And so here are gonna be the consequences for that dumb stuff. And then lay that out whatever that is. That way the kid knows, hey my parents are not afraid to talk to me about this which lets them know they can come to their parent if they've they gotten into something that they shouldn't have or they're scared or worried, um, which is always a good thing. Um, and just continuing to have that conversation. I'm a big believer that we've got to know what our kids are looking at uh, and knowing what they have in their possession. So I tell parents all the time, search their rooms, search their cars, look at their social media, make sure you have the passwords. It it feels intrusive to some parents, but it's- their
1: private space.
0: Oh, I hate that. Um, It's our job as parents, first and foremost, to keep our kids safe and alive. And to me, drug and alcohol use, in whatever form it's showing itself, it falls under that umbrella.
1: Surely, there's a bigger role for the faith community to play in all this. Oh, absolutely. Tell me, what should they be doing? What should pastors be saying from the pulpit about this? Yeah,
0: a couple of things that I've noticed over the the last few years. Um, a lot of our churches have become more recovery friendly. Anything I think that a church can do to welcome um, that population, that demographic, is a positive thing. Um, a place that they feel where they feel safe to come and talk about whatever they need support with. I think the messaging from the pulpit um, should be, again, in my opinion, forgiving, grace, welcoming. An addict typically already feels like they are dirt. So we don't want to do anything that confirms that for them, right?
1: Well, should pastors be also saying from the pulpit, don't get involved in this?
0: I think, I think the more adults are saying that, the better, Um, It's very important what kids see in a home, but any adult that they look up to, their pastor, their youth pastor, um, teachers, coaches, we need to be setting a good example, and part of that is having conversations about it. I think absolutely that would be appropriate.
1: Angela Camp, do you have a website?
0: Sure. Um, Our website is bradfordhealth.com.
1: Thank you so much. God bless your work.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Angela Camp with Bradford Health Services at a conference in Springfield led by Illinois Church Action on alcohol and addiction problems. After this time out, Peter Bensinker, former administrator of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, will weigh in on the effort to legalize today's high-potency marijuana in Illinois.
2: This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. Two destructive impulses distort media coverage of far too many major and minor events. And both of these instincts were on powerful display in the recent distortions involving a nonviolent Lincoln Memorial exchange between pro-life Catholic high school boys from Covington, Kentucky, and activists representing indigenous peoples and black Israelites. First, reporters tend to blame conservatives for anything that goes wrong, even when there's scant evidence to back them up. Second, the media almost always exaggerate anything that does go wrong. Any problem, from the environment to the economy to the political system to schools and even foreign relations, automatically becomes a catastrophe. The idea is that the public will pay more attention if you can make them worried or scared. The news business becomes the bad news business, promoting an unduly pessimistic view of our country and the world. I'm Michael Medved.
1: Trans ideology is in our schools, government, churches even, our homes.
3: We need to start taking some action in stopping this total madness.
1: Join the Illinois Family Institute for our Trans Ideology Worldview Conference, Saturday March 16th at Stone Church in Orland Park with Dr. Michelle Cortella, authors Denise Schick and Douglas Wilson, and Walt Heyer, a former transgender with encouragement for others.
2: Let me help you realize who you are.
1: The Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference, biblical For today's culture, 10 a.m. Saturday, March 16th at Stone Church in Orland Park, $20 per person, $50 per family. To attend, call 708-781-9328, 708-781-9328, or visit illinoisfamily.org. This is Illinois Family Spotlight, I'm Monty Larrick. State lawmakers are considering legislation that would legalize today's high-potency marijuana in Illinois. I discussed that with Peter Benzinger, former administrator of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration under Presidents Ford, Carter, and Reagan. He spoke after a forum in Chicago led by the nonprofit organization Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or SAM. Mr. Benzinger, is it your view that Marijuana, the legalization of today's high-potency marijuana, will actually weaponize marijuana in communities.
3: No question about it. In Colorado, which has had a six-year experience, we've seen destruction of the youth. It's gone up 85%. We've seen deaths on the highway. We've seen gangs and cartels from Mexico, China, Cuba come in and sell to the underage students. So you're gonna see much more illegal activity when you legalize. And that's that's one of the biggest problems. This isn't gonna cure Illinois' problems of finances. The costs won't be equaled to the expenses.
1: Well, there are those who would suggest that we can do it right in Illinois. We can learn from the mistakes that were made in California in Colorado. And we can regulate it the right way and make sure the cartels stay out of the marijuana business here in Illinois.
3: As the former head of DEA, I can tell you that's wishful thinking. Once you legalize a drug and it's 21 and over, the illegal traffickers are going to sell to the biggest population, which is the 14, 15, 16, 18-year-olds, up to 25. And they'll do it at cheaper prices because there'll be no taxes. There's no way the state of Illinois is gonna stop illegal drug sales. They may think they can, but they can't.
1: Advocates for legalized uh, recreational marijuana, today's high-potency marijuana, also suggest, well, we can get the THC levels down to a respectable level. That hasn't happened in Colorado.
3: Not only has it not happened, but you've got all of the gummy bears, the edibles, all of the associated marijuana products with higher potency than we had at any time. You'll have much higher use of marijuana by young people, you'll have much higher traffic fatalities, you'll have much more destructive communities, because the marijuana will not be just used in retail shops, they'll be grown in national parks, state parks, forest preserves, all over Illinois. Starved rock? Starved rock, exa- exactly, and and that's one of the great, there are many great, wonderful parks throughout the state, and those parks are gonna be camps for the illegal growers. In Colorado, there were 80,000 marijuana plants found on federal lands alone, not state lands. They'll be double that number. Proponents
1: would also suggest that we're just going to legalize it for people 21 and over. So it won't filter to young people.
3: Well, the young people will be more than served by the illegal cartels. They, once there's legal marijuana, then the dealers who will be selling to the kids are less susceptible to police action because marijuana is legal. So they'll be out dealing and stealing and doping a lot of young people. I think legislators need to know, K-N-O-W, and they need to know the science, they need to call the consequences, they have to think about the young people of our state instead of what they think is politically useful. What
1: should voters be telling their lawmakers about marijuana here in Illinois?
3: We don't want it on our street corners, we don't want it on our communities, we don't want it for our kids. Just say no. Find out what this stuff has done. Look at the science. Look at the health. Listen to the people that deal with this as addiction medicine. Why is the American Medical Association, why have the Association of Addiction Medicine, why have the pediatricians, why have Lurie children? why have people that understand health said, don't do this? I think the legislators ought to ask themselves that question. Why does the National Transportation Safety Board say, don't do this. Why do people that are worried, like law law enforcement say, if you think legalization is going to take away crime, you're kidding yourself.
1: During the Smart Approaches to Marijuana Forum, I asked if legalizing high-potency marijuana in Illinois would be, as some lawmakers contend, a good way to respond to the state's opioid crisis.
3: For the legislators to say it would be a good idea for them to use this, instead of opioids, they're going against medicine. Secondly, the Lancet study mm-hmm. found that heavy marijuana users are more likely to abuse opioids rather than to stop using. I'm an old hand, over 80, but back when I was chairman of the Youth Commission, we did a, a random study of 400 of the, the young men and, that came into our juvenile facilities, most of them had used drugs. And we asked those that used heroin, what did you start with? Over 85% said they started with marijuana. And just that use gets the individual into using, depending, getting hooked, getting dependent. And why make a drug available that is subject to abuse and dependency? an addictive tool where they're captured. It's really irresponsible if the Illinois legislature thinks legalizing marijuana is gonna be good for the youth of our state, good for the safety of our state, good for the health of our state, and good for the revenue of our state. It's gonna invite more illegal drug use and sales. But the public doesn't hear this. And they don't hear the science. And the legislators don't hear this, in part because they don't want it. And they're thinking of politics instead of public health, instead of their kids. And someday we've got to We have to have leadership in Illinois from both parties that put our kids first.
1: Peter Benzinger, former administrator with the US Drug Enforcement Administration, during a forum in Chicago led by Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Find out more about the truth and consequences of marijuana at noweedillinois.com. Please join the Illinois Family Institute for the Christian Life in Exile Forum with the Rev. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, 7 p.m., February 22nd at Jubilee Bible Church in Medina, Illinois. If you'd like to attend, call 708-781-9328 support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax deductible and if you'd like to give call 708-781-9328 or visit illinoisfamily.org and tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.